Hello everyone, welcome to Cricket with an Accent. This is Saqib Ali hosting the show. And today's podcast uh, is slightly a different exercise because in this forum, especially what I have been doing in the last few years, we really don't talk about recently retired or current players. And uh, there are for, t- for two reasons. Uh, recency means there are a lot of people who may know the subject better than me. And, you know, and that, that, that doesn't speak much about me anyway. But I have two guests here who will help me unpack a glorious career that ended a couple of years ago. So before I introduce them, I'll just give some context. Uh, I'm in my mid-40s. When I was a cricket fan at my peak fandom, cricket was a country versus country sport living back in India. And uh, it's not like my generation or younger fans like me didn't admire Richards or Alan Border or Imran or some of those players. But it was still mainly, it was your team. It was about Gavaskar. It was about Shastri. It was about Kapil. It was all about Tendulkar, Azhar, our guys, you know, and that's how fandom evolves. And we fast forward to current times with the advent of IPL and leagues all over the world. Cricket has become more like a, a NBA or Euro- European football leagues where superstars from different teams come under the same team and fans, especially the Indian fans, if we take vantage point here, uh, embrace some of the global superstars. And in that, with, with that vantage point, I don't think there has been a bigger name in the IPL uh, than A.B. de Villiers, who's a non-Indian player, but he's embraced by Indian fans and global fans wholeheartedly. So A.B. is the topic uh, today, and helping me do the honors are return guest Dan Gallen, who has been not on the podcast for a few years, but we've always been in touch trying to arrange this kind of a topic. And then uh, Prithvi, you know, I can't introduce the guy. He's a, a literal a uh, true Twitter superstar with, you know, his tweet, his tweets, you know, by the minutes, uh, draw retweets and likes. And he's a super cricket fan, but he's a big A.B. de Villiers fan. So I thought these two gentlemen will do justice. If you look look back, it's such a glorious uh, chapter of cricket, uh, A.B. de Villiers. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sakit. So as a prep, I mean, you both probably, I can't throw a question that you won't won't be able to answer because Dan has covered De Villiers in South African cricket professionally. He's probably been in press room and spoken to him. He's written about him. There's a nice article that I'll plug in from Dan in the show notes. But I was also reading the Jared Kimber piece that came out on Cricket Info in 2015. And that pretty much covers a lot of shades of De Villiers. And uh, he's also the most explosive batsman. And he's also the guy who scored 33 of 220 balls, tried to save a test match in Adelaide, and he's invented or perfected many strokes that probably existed, but he just have taken uh, cricket batting to a next level. So, Dan, let me start with you. Uh, again, not easy to describe such a talent. Uh, what comes to mind when, you know, if I, if I wake you up from sleep or if I run into you at an airport and say, hey, what does A.B. Devilla means to you? What are your first thoughts? Uh yeah, thanks, Sakib. I mean, my my gut reaction would be that he's the best South African batter that I've ever seen. Um, I I could make a case, and maybe we will be doing this in the podcast, that he's South Africa's most naturally gifted cricketer uh, with bat or ball in the history of the game since they started playing in the 1800s. I would have him as the... In, in in my opinion, I think he's second only to Brian Lara in terms of batters I would want to watch. Um, uh, I he was 
a player who, yes, reinvented in many ways, you know, Mr. 360, the way he was, he was innovative in the crease, but he, he had this aura about him. I was there at the Wonders when he scored the fastest ever 100, when he, when he got 149 or whatever it was and was caught at the boundary. And everything was coming off the middle of the back. But more than that, he was crouching down to play a, you know, a, a, a leg side paddle for six or over fine leg. He was crouching down as the West Indian bowlers were, were running up. So that mean, I mean, these were international bowlers who had played in the IPL and, and, and the CPL and all over the world. They could have bowled a solo ball. They could have bowled a bouncer. They could have changed the, their line or their length. And yet they bowled exactly in the spot that Abe de Villiers wanted them to bowl. It was almost like he had them under a spell. And he, he just had this, this presence at the crease that you felt that no matter the situation, no matter the pitch, no matter the bowlers, he would find a way of scoring runs and scoring them at the pace that was needed. I remember watching him at Centurion when Mitchell Johnson, this is in a test match, when Mitchell Johnson was breaking bats and helmets, he was devastating. It was when Johnson was the most terrifying bowler in the world. And A.B. de Villiers was, punch, was, was pulling him off the front foot and punching him on the up through the covers and, and late cutting him as if he was some medium pace trundler on a, on a very up and down wicket. He, he was just simply a genius. Um, we use that word in sport quite a lot, but I, I, I have no problem um, attributing that to A.B. Davis. He, he was unquestionably a genius. That's a perfect point for Prithvi to come in. Similar question, Prithvi. So when did you, you know, fall in love with the guy? When did you become a fan? Is there a seminal moment when, you know, your jaw dropped and said, okay, wow, what is this guy doing? Uh, first of all, thank you, Sakibai, for having me on this podcast. Yeah, first I came to know about ABDW. That was during 2007-2008 period. Specifically during 2007 World Cup when famous he got to dust in that World Cup. But I used to always confuse him initially with Boeta Depena for some reasons. Maybe because of their surnames sounded similar. But I used to confuse him in the likes of Mackenzie and Boeta Depena for some reasons. But as soon as but I followed that 2008 summer very religiously. First he was in he played a home series against West Indies where he got the 100 at Durban. And that 100 at Durban was a very critical point during his career because he was backed by Mickey Arthur. And he mentions in his autobiography as well, right? Like he had a horrible summer before that against India and Pakistan. He got a 100 at Durban against West Indies. That was his savior point. That, he, that 100 literally saved his career, we can say. Then he went to, he came to Bangladesh, he went to Bangladesh after that. He had poor uh, things there. But his stepping point in his career, I, it would be that 217 against Ahmedabad, where he won the man of the match. And then again next year, after a couple of months, they traveled to England, where at Heading, he got 174 and then 97 at over. And that year, didn't stop him from for that. Then later, that year, at the end of the year, South Africa won a test match in Australia after 15 years. And he was the man of the match in that first test, where South Africa recorded a for 414 chase against the likes of Brecky, Johnson, and Stuart Clark. So these guys. So within, he's the only player who has got 400s in a calendar year in four different continents. So during that period, 2008, 2009, I really started following him. And I, of course, he came across as a naturally textbook stuff batsman. So he wasn't really explored like the world hadn't seen 
his prowess in his uh, white ball cricket till then until 2009 2010 but i knew him like the likes of amla had also started to get into the batting lineup of gibbs smith amla callis this was quite a formidable batting lineup and that time i fell in love with the south african cricket team because because winning a test series in england and australia in the same calendar is no joke that is still few very few teams have been able to do that and they have done it twice once in 2008 and once in 2012 so yeah that's the point 2008 2009 i really started following him religiously and after that uh, it was australia's turn to so south africa and he got two consecutive hundreds one was in joburg and other one was in uh, if i'm not mistaken it was in century in i guess very hit two consecutive sixes to uh, andrew mcdonald and got a 100 at joburg before that so like i saw his score score 5 to 600 within a calendar year and all were like it was false how to describe the quality of those hundreds so it was during that period i really started following that's quite the summary and that also proves why you should be on this podcast along with dan because you know you know the man inside out so dan let me bring you in here uh sports is you know dull without comparison and sometimes comparisons are you know little you know immature and sometimes they are uh valid so devilia is slightly older than the fab 4 so and using the word talent uh if that's a easy comparison i see from my vantage point he's more talented than uh smith kohli root and williamson and some may disagree but that's my limited vantage point but how do you measure his test batting against the four and if we even look at their peaks do you think devilia comes out on uh on the right side because is his peak peak higher or uh way on this and the same question to prithvi after this yeah i i know what you mean about sport is is dull by comparison but 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 comparisons also create this comparisons and rankings almost create this very very binary um understanding of the way sport works you know we have to you know we have to say that one is better than the other um I, I I mean I would argue I would argue that that De Villiers is a better pl- is a better player than than the Fab Four. Um, like I said, in my, in my opinion, he of all the players that I've ever seen live, and I've seen the Fab or Fab Four live, I've seen them score hundreds. In fact, I don't know if I've seen um, uh, Baba score a hundred. Anyway, that doesn't matter. Um, of all the players I've seen live and score runs, I would only have uh, Brian Lara ahead of Abe De Villiers, uh, Ricky Ponting. Jacques Callas, Sachin Tendulkar, um, Sangakkara. I, I have, I have, I have De Villiers above all of them. So, yeah. Short answer, yes. I think, I think what what De Villiers has um, more of than the others is, I think he had he had more gears. I think he was able to bat incredibly slowly and incredibly quickly. And obviously, the Fab Four all have all have their ranges, but I think. I think De Villiers was able to hit more notes. He was almost he was almost a a a singer who could go very very low and very very high. You know, with the bat he was almost an, an entire choir by himself to to continue that uh happy metaphor. But um yeah, to it's a long-winded way of saying yes. I think I think De Villiers is better than all of them because of his range. Yeah, not not an easy answer, not a straightforward answer, and you're you're right. So, Prithvi, you come in with the same response, and I would also say use the example 
that uh, Dan gave in the first answer when he said he took on a peak Mitchell Johnson. So again, uh, floor is yours. How you want to compare his abilities and talent to the likes of the Fab Four or even Babar Azam or whoever you want to compare him to? Yeah, again, I would try to repeat the same thing. Like, I'm not a fan of comparisons, but uh, because the Fab Four mainly battled in the bowling era, if we put it very honestly, because. Since World War II, post-war, the bowling averages were the best in 2018, and Virat Kohli was the only batsman who was averaging 50 in that era. So, Kohli set the fab four, and the likes of Smith and Kohli are much, I would rate them much higher, uh, apart from the other two guys in the fab four. And coming back to Dibidias, I would like to put it this way: I would like to compare him with his peers like Jam Smith, Amla. Mathalan, Peterson, Michael Clark, because all these guys burst onto the scene during the same period. That is two thousand three, two thousand four, and nobody except Davies averaged fifty in Test cricket. Apart from them, everyone had a brilliant start to their career. I remember everyone knows how Peterson's three thousand five averages were, how Michael Clark uh, burst onto the scene, and how they had an incredible Test career going forward till two thousand seven. And Davies was somewhat like he was struggling. There were questions being raised. Like how is this guy? He has not had a test hundred in three years, and he's still in the team on the back of Mikiyatta's backing. So I, but come again, I would like to take you to the 2008 period where he scored five to six hundred in a calendar year, and after that he never looked back. Like 2010 was I was would describe as his peak, and 2010 to 2014. And coming back to the comparisons, I would. uh to put it very honestly and bluntly uh, smith is the greatest batter of this generation has ever seen so i would rate him a below steve uh, smith uh, in um, in term in context to stats and but beyond stats there's a world and i would like to put my few cents on it he is the only batter who has three of the slowest in in top 6 if we consider the 200 ball category One was at the 43 of 297. He scored at Delhi. Then at 33 of 220, he scored at Adelaide. And the other one is 43 of 227. He had at, I guess that was at last test was at Cape Town. Yes, Cape Town, where South Africa was touring Australia in 2014, and Ryan Harris got him out. If memory serves me right. So these three he has. He's the. You can matlab compare his range. Like he has two of the fastest. So one day international innings, if we come take the 40 balls minimum criteria, that the 160 at Sydney and 149 at Dover, and he has three of the slowest innings in top six if we consider the 200 balls category in red ball cricket. So you can how how do we describe this range? Incredible range. How can same batsman do both these things? It's incredible, right? And not just here. In, In the, during the same period, he was also striking at 150 in 20 cricket, in 20 cricket that is in the IPL. So, coming back to the original question, uh, Steve Smith is the greatest batsman. Then I would rate Kohli below him, and then Joe before the his second burst that is after the 2020-2021 period, I guess, and then Ken Williams. So, so this is the order I would like to put in. But and do we just stop playing Test cricket after? Uh, 2015. That after that, Test series against 
England. So we could not really compare how we would have played in the bowling era, but there is enough evidence. Like when he decided to play his last summer in South Africa, that is in 2017-18, he got a 50 on his comeback against Zimbabwe. Then he averaged, even though he averaged 33, he played two amazing knocks at Cape Town, and then I sent to him against India. And then we all know what he did against Australia later in that series. So he would have played well in that bowling era as well. But he's beyond stats, and like to being on his test batting, putting last point. He's the only 20. He has scored 28 times for South Africa, and that's the highest fifth percentage of top scored innings. If we consider 50 innings, I guess if my if my numbers are correct, I'll go through the numbers again. I'll check with it, but. If you can't have this incredible amount of range and these numbers, and you not say that he wouldn't have been a better batsman in the bowling era, so the comparison is slightly, uh, what do we? I would say it would be very injustice to the fast bowlers because of the conditions they are batted in. Yeah, that's all. Awesome. No, I think that's the, and I don't, I don't doubt your numbers, but this is the kind of information you know which will make this podcast a, a better experience. So Dan, again, uh, how is he viewed in the South African cricketing circles, right? With other greats, uh, of course, you know uh, uh, Barry Richards and some of the greats didn't play Test cricket, you know, because of the known reasons. But uh, are there any comparisons in South African media? Is he considered the all-time uh, in, in a short list of an all-time? How do the old timers see him? Because I don't expect you to know all the answers, but I'm kind of like looking for stuff because you work in cricket. You might have spoken to, you know, some of the all-time greats. How do they receive the brilliance of A.B. de Villiers? Any yeah. anecdotes would be even nice. Yeah, his um, his his legacy is secure as a cricketer. Um, it's just a matter of you know, it's just a matter of taste. Do you consider Barry Richards or Graham Pollock? To be the greatest, do you consider Jacques Cullis to be the greatest? Some might have Hashim Amla, some might like uh, the you know, some might even have Graham Smith um, as as South Africa's best. You know, that that it might just be a matter of opinion. For me, it, for me, it's a de Villiers, and I think I think many people would agree. I, I'm guessing if there was a poll conducted, I think maybe AB would top that. Um, but AB de Villiers, the cricketer. And Abe de Villiers, the servant of South African cricket, are two very di- have two very different reputations. No one, no one could deny how sensational he was. Although his T20 international record was was actually pretty poor, um, what he did for uh, uh, RCB. But because he retired prematurely then tried to get back in on the eve of a World Cup that went disastrously wrong, then flirted with the idea of coming back again, then retired, put out these very schmaltzy uh, retirement videos that were you know, highly edited and stylized. I think, I think the South African public feel let down by Abed Aviz. The, the article that you mentioned that I, that I wrote during the World Cup in 2019 was, And I and I, I've I'd since written a similar piece for the Wisden Almanac when when AB de Villiers officially retired from from cricket, was that there are, there are two AB de Villiers in, in the narrative. One is the is the genius batter, the the, the slightly flawed captain, um, 
who should never have been captain in my opinion but you know the old all teams experiment with that such and Dorka was captain so it's not like Ava de Villas is unique in that front but the the absolute genius cricketer coupled with the player who I think many South Africans felt that he thought of himself as as bigger than the Proteas uh, the on again off again the fact that he left his good mate Faf, uh, mate Faf Duplessis in the lurch in the World Cup that he effectively had the temerity to think that he could waltz back into the side. And many fans felt that he should have waltzed back into the side. Such was his genius. But I thought that you need to show the right attitude to a team. And uh, often the straight, the, the best African sides have been united by a, a real sense of togetherness. And I think Abe de Villiers, either through the amount of cricket he was playing or because he was so good or because he felt like he'd, he'd lost something that the captaincy didn't quite stick. I think, I think he felt disconnected from the rest of the team. And so his legacy on that front is slightly tainted. Um, and, and that may color people's perceptions back home. It, it certainly does mine when I, when I think of him. That's quite a, uh, quite a door you've opened. I expected this uh, to come up later in the podcast, but let, since we are here, let's swear it in. And I'm sure Prithvi will have something to say, but let me throw this back to you, Dan. So do you think, uh, you know, the way the club cricket has taken over and IPL is like the biggest show in town. So you think there is also some disdain from the South African public because, you know, let's face it, like the money in cricket wasn't, was never great till IPL came unless you were playing for India or maybe England or some of the other boards. So I see why players, you know, sign up for IPL. The competition is great, but the money is great. So, you know, the window of a professional athlete is small. So is there like some sort of a backlash when a player of De Villiers status in his twilight years chooses club over nation? I mean, he did play for 14 years. So it's not like he, and he was playing all formats. So it's not like he took the easy way out. But as fans, and especially the partisan national fans, you think there is like some love lost there on how it played out in the end? No, 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 no one will begrudge him for playing uh, and, and making a lot of money in the IPL. You know, as you said, there's not a lot of money to be made in, in crickets before the IPL came along. And, this, and the exchange rate with the RAND um, means that anyone who can go overseas and earn, I believe they paid in dollars effectively, are they? Or whatever the case is, you know, getting paid a lot of money. Uh, yeah, no one will begrudge that. People, you know, go fill your boots, son. Everyone's, everyone's proud of you. Go Just go represent the country and make sure that when your country comes calling, you prioritize the Proteas. Um, it felt like AB was the ha- ha- that AB had left the Proteas um, to con- to to extend uh, his gigging on the on the on the franchise freelance circuit. So, yeah, I think I think that's where I think that's where the fans feel let down that there was a a, a shift in his priorities. Um, but had he availed himself to the Proteas the way many other uh, IPL regulars do, then no, there would there would have been absolutely no hard feelings. That people, I think, felt very proud when whenever he scored runs for RCB. I guess uh, whenever he he, sc- he scored a ton for RCB and was and was adored by the public, there was a sense of well, why do you only average in the in the mid to low twenties when you're wearing a Proteas shirt in a T20 match? But I don't think that was through a lack of effort. I, I think every time he played for South Africa, he really wanted to do well. He's just a competitive player. But yeah, I I I would say that if 
if he had behaved himself in the way that the fans want him to behave, no one would have minded what he did in the IPL. Right, so hold that thought. I'll come back to you. Let me bring Prithvi quickly in. So Prithvi, a couple of things, a couple of questions roll into one. One, so do you agree with uh, Dan's uh, sentiment here? Because if you were a South African, or if I was South African, I think we might feel the same, that uh, when he couldn't make the deadline for the World Cup uh, uh, squad and then wanted a backdoor entry, but then, you know, it was an awkward situation. So how do you see that situation? And secondly, Prithvi, uh, Dan also talked about A.B. de Villiers as a captain. You know, he was not captain material. How do you see those two things in today's cricket? Hi, coming back to the first question, I think in the same direction as the Dan does. Like, if I, first, if I was a South African supporter, I would have been disappointed. It's, in fact, being an Indian and being a supporter of South African cricket for such a long time, I was I felt really disappointed to put it very honestly. I wept the day he announced his retirement. Like I for two days I did not know I'm a grown up adult and for two days I did not know what to do with my life anymore. Such was the impact that his retirement had on me. But there was a little hope that age was still on his side. He was still 34. And before he had the day he announced his retirement, I was on 23rd May. And just four to five days ago, he had taken a brilliant catch at Shotman Cricket. And in no way it really conveyed that he was tired, as he suggested in that his retirement video. So so I don't blame the South African fans and the way they think about him because he left them. He left the Proteas. The, I would have shared the same sentiment as Dan does. And I really think he should have rethought upon his decision because it was still on his side and the whole situation should have been handled better, according to me. Because you just can't let off a talent like ABTV walk away from your team. Like he's, he's the only backer to have it to team test cricket and in India cricket till date. Like, and, the, and no one is above sport having said that. But you, some players have to be managed Especially or in some other way, and I still think Sabang More. I Dan can correct me. Sabang More was the PSA president at that time, and I think he didn't handle it. He should have handled it in a more precise manner. But I totally share the same sentiment that he should have reckoned upon his decision because each was still on his side, and can't walk in and walk out of the side. Uh, even if you are one of the greatest of the game. So that part, that will remain a black spot on his career, if, if you can say. And sorry, I didn't get the second question. Uh, second question is about captaincy, right? Dan said he shouldn't have been the captain to begin with. So since you're also such a, uh, I don't, uh, you know, a diehard follower of South African cricket, do you also believe he shouldn't have been the captain and when he became the captain? How, what is your captaincy report card for De Villiers? So, yeah, we have to look at the timeline. Dan Smith decided that he wanted not to be the white ball captain after 2011 World Cup. And if I'm correct, that he didn't, after 2000, the way the quarterfinal, 2011 quarterfinal ended, the Grand Smith, there are reports in South African circles, I've read them, that Grand Smith didn't land in South Africa with the team. He came after a couple of months. If I'm not uh, if I'm correct about this information. Yeah, so we have to look at the timeline. So the immediate successor was ABD because Jack Ellis didn't have many years left in him 
Ashim Amla was still cementing his place in the ODI squad, even though he had just had a very good 2010. So the immediate successor was other than JP Domini or I guess EBT Villiers. So being the best batsman of the side, the captaincy went to him. And he, he started his captaincy tenure very well. Like the 5-0 whitewash against Sri Lanka. Then they went to New Zealand. They won 2-1 or 3-0, I guess, in New Zealand. Then again in 2012, uh, they drew 2-2 in England after in 2012. And then again in that summer, I guess, he didn't play the New Zealand series. And it was the first time New Zealand won a uh, ODI series in South Africa under McCallum's captainship and McCallum's and Mike Hessen's leadership. I guess Star Duplessis was captain during that time. So if you look at his ODI captaincy and white ball captaincy tenure, uh, I guess two, he made a grave mistake. 2002, he was a uh, World Cup, he was a horrible captain. There's no doubt about it because he had so many options, but he decided to open with Hayashan. Uh, I guess Callis was the second guy. And there were many, he himself was batting five or six at down the order. And there was many tactical blunders he did in that World Cup. The game against Pakistan, the game uh, and the game against India, he was not up to the mark as a captain. So he tactically he was not a good captain. But if you look at his overall record, he had a very impressive start to his captaincy. And the way and I think Dan would throw light on the situation. Uh, after Gaston retired in 2014 from Bedball cricket, I guess they were not able to decide. Uh, the next captain and, it, in, and the next series they played was in Sri Lanka and they I guess everyone it was confirmed that Divilliers was captain but South Africa they made Hashim Amla captain for uh, some reasons and I guess I've read about this but I don't know what's the truth that he wasn't very happy about it going forward regarding that decision. So I don't know about this, but there are only rumors that I've read on the internet regarding this. Yeah, that's all from myself. Dan, you want to weigh on this? Um, I mean, I, I don't... I, it sort of made sense. I, I understand why he was made captain. Um, Amla didn't want it. I think, you know, Hashim realized that he, it, it wasn't for him. He didn't like the, he didn't like the limelight and, you know, being, being the captain of any, of any test team, but, you know, requires a little bit of, how do you say it, off-field responsibilities, you know, handling the press, sort of being, uh, being, being a, a, an outspoken forward-facing leader. And in South Africa, that, requires a degree of machismo. Certainly it did before Faf Duplessis changed the way the, the Proteus captain was done. You know, the, we, they were coming out of the, the long era of Graham Smith and, and looking for the pre, you know, the, the new captain, the ideal next captain is often shaped either as the antithesis or the continuation of the previous regime. And, and, and Graham Smith was so successful. So, that was the mold of the South African captain. And when Hashim Amla got the gig, it felt, it didn't feel right. So, AB made sense. He was going to play every game. He was he was the star player. He was the middle order linchpin. Faf uh, hadn't cemented his place in, in the side just yet. And and AB wanted it. He, he made no bones about it. When, when Graham Smith retired, AB de Villiers wanted to be captain. But 
I think one of AB's flaws as captain, and this has been true for, for all superstar talents, is that he just wasn't relatable. You know, he would he would ask of his players to do things that he that only he could do. So you know, a captain needs to relate to someone's struggle. He needs to relate to someone's hard graft. And and that's what that's what made Faf Duplessis so such a great captain, is that he was so relatable, he was so human in that way, even though you know his his physique is almost uh, otherworldly. Um, he he was he he was and is very much a human being. Uh, whereas Ab de Villiers was was touched by a genius that you know I, I no no other South African batter has been touched maybe since since Barry Richards. So yeah, I think I think Ab de Villiers was always going to be. A, a flawed captain and thankfully he didn't last very long in the job so he could kind of just focus on, on his batting and um, you know his his injury helped in that sense that they shipped him on and then Fuff took over the white ball side and it just felt like a very natural progression but uh, I, yeah, I wouldn't call him a, I wouldn't call him a terrible captain he just wasn't a, a natural captain Okay so you said a few things so I'm going to add that in my next question to you Dan how is mm. it covering the man professionally because in india you've you know you've seen how indian cricketers are like they 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 are like demigods and there's so much money in here i talked to a lot of old time journalists and they say the access back in the day when tendulkar was first captain or when azhar was playing of course you know things change after match fixing but there was so much access to players like sharda ugra the senior reporter went to azharuddin's house you know to do an interview and she said today something like this will never even happen so using that benchmark how are cricketers treated in the south african sporting landscape and then secondly how media friendly and accessible was av de villiers over the years did he change as a person with stardom uh i i wasn't um i i wasn't working yet when when ab first burst onto the scene so i can't i can't really speak of his evolution he was already a superstar by the time i took up uh, residence in, in the south african uh, press box um the access that you spoke, speak about about going to players houses yeah that 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 that, that happens sometimes um i i never um i i never did an exclusive with ab we 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 chatted you know he knew who i was we we spoke in in press conferences and in and in informal uh gatherings i found him to be a, a nice guy you know, you know, quite, uh, quite softly spoken, but you know, obviously supremely confident. You know, he knew that he was one. He was one of those players that you, he walked into the room, into the press box, and it, you knew, you know, you, you noticed not because he was this imposing figure, but just because he he had an aura about him. You know, when you when you're that good, you, you're going to turn heads. Um, I always saw him be really approachable to young kids. You know, he'd be signing autographs in the boundary after the game he was uh friendly and well liked yeah he 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 knew how to conduct himself i think he was someone who never you know i'm talking about from a staffing and cricket point of view i don't think he ever questioned his place and in the game i do wonder if he yearned for more of a love if he felt more love in india but i think that's just inevitable south african Cricket fans don't deify cricketers the way Indians do. We we you know, some people deify Springbok rugby players. You know that that's where we um, 
we as South Africans place our you know zealous fervor when it comes to sports. You you have you have fanatical cricket fans, but not not on the scale that that you have with with Springboks and rugby, and certainly nowhere near when it comes to India. So I I I wonder if as he became a demigod in in um in in Bangalore, he felt more human in South Africa, and I, and I wonder if that um. Not bothered him, but I wonder. I wonder if if he, you know, who who wouldn't like to be deified? You know, obviously, if you're unable to go to the to the mall or go to or go to you know go get a coffee with your with your partner or, or breakfast with your kids without a hundred people swarming you for an autograph, that sounds like you know a pain. You know, my my sympathies to Vera Kohli and Sachin Tendulkar on that front, but it would be quite nice to be loved and and, and have packed stadiums singing your name. South Africa liked Abe de Villiers so long as he was doing well. Um, and I wonder, I wonder if that clouded him. I mean, he, he, it had been a long time since he'd done an exclusive uh, as he as he had a falling out with Faf Duplessis and then left the, left the team. He, he certainly wasn't giving any interviews. So, yeah, tricky one. I mean, getting get. I think in in ten years' time or in five years' time, maybe Abe de Villiers will open up to a journalist and and kind of talk about it. Um, maybe there'll be a, there'll there'll be another book. Who knows? But I, I I if I was asking him, I'd love to know if he felt a disconnect between himself and the South African fans when comparing the adulation he received from the Indians. No, that's a that's a great point for bringing the next question, and I'll come back to you. I mean, I'm going between both of you, so we cover a lot of topics. So, Prithvi, a quick uh, question for you here. Uh, IPL, he's a definitely an all-time great, and I want to ask you, like, who's the best IPL batter? But there was a very incredible moment when uh, Stain and Davila faced off. I think in 2015 or maybe a different year. You probably would know it. 28 were needed in the last two overs, and uh, De Villiers just took Dale Stain to the cleaners. So, talk about that. What kind of, what kind of an aura that over preceded when you know two all-time greats from the same same team, probably at the peak of their powers, faced each other? What do you remember talking, you know, seeing then, and uh, how often have we talked about that 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 clash? Yeah. So coming by, it was 2012 when they first faced off in the IPL. Uh, it was. Uh, there's an interesting backstory to it, right? Because uh, that happened in uh, mid-April and just a few weeks ago, he was named as the number one test batter along with Michael Clark after the New Zealand series in 2012. So, uh, number one test batter, he first, he, and I guess, the, you know the, I'm forgetting his name, uh, he was South Africa's analyst at that time. He goes by the name P-Dog on Twitter, uh, Prasanna. So, Prasanna's idea was to play him at 5 and 6. And he was, uh, he was of a firm opinion that what he can do at five at number six, no one, no batter in the world can do it. It just spoiled his task because he continued to languish at the five and six position and couldn't really satisfy like Gale and Warner did at the top of the order. That's a different topic altogether, but uh, I was just adding some context to it. So he arrived when the situation was uh, asked to be needed four over, 65 in four overs and Dale Stain had considered hadn't considered a six until in that IPL and he, cons- he didn't uh, consider only two sixes in that season and both the sixes were hit by really Davies. So such was that Stain was that good in that season, right? So and when he left, when he arrived, 
south of entry user entry points of rcb sorry rcb needed 65 or 17 core over or something and abdivness match 47 in 17 balls and he just walked in at number 5 or 6 i guess asad patan and likes of saurabh tiwari were promoted ahead of him and he just took him apart for 24 over and that shot that it this is he replicated that ipl logo either he just exceeded at over cover it was a dead yorker from the stream like many other batsmen would have just some scattered but he be just ah, stood back and just dug deep inside his field and put that uh, over extra cover that was just amazing like two things science can't explain it was the stuff stuff of these and in the next game or game before that against pune is a similar situation uh rcb we, we the one in the top 50 odd in three overs and just if he just walks out and he scores 33 11 balls he's just driving mera he's just scooping him at his will and all this doing without getting set and being the number one test batter himself so that really impressed me i and made that was the constant 12 was a season that really made it seem his span that this guy is winning in test cricket is ranked number one in test cricket and he's also doing this stuff Ridiculous stuff. Batting at 150, 200, 255 in IPL and coming in like how many more batters in the world can really do that? So, and next encounter was in 2014 with Dave's team. And in similar situation, RCB was struggling at 15 for three or something. This guy walks to bat at number five, and they were chasing 156 or 163 odd. Against Bangalore and Irfan Patan, they say no one was square. This guy was scooping, he was scooping, flicking everyone as well, and he ended up at 89 for 45 deliveries. And he famously said after the interview that there are only two games that year, and those two games are when I play against RCB. So this was rich, very rich, coming from one of the greatest ball of the world I've ever seen. Yeah. So Prithvi, I'm going to stay with you. Uh, a larger question. uh maybe not an easy question but uh, you know there's enough sample size you followed the career if someone asks you to choose ab devilliers red ball or ab devilliers white ball what's your response yeah ab devilliers red ball without any doubt because there are too many facets to his red ball career like he started as an opener he has three test hundreds as an opener then he after mark boucher's injury in 2012 august he was handed over the gloves over thomas okole if i Get the pronunciation right. So he never looked back after that because, and he he is the only batter before Joe Root equaled that record. He scored 50 plus in 12 consecutive Test matches. 50 plus in 12 consecutive Test matches. That was a record held by Don Bradman. Don Bradman did it in 10 or 11 Test matches, and he did it in 12 Test matches. Joe Root equaled it later on, but that for good six to eight years, that record was. held by ev devilliers so and he did it as a wicket keeper and as a wicket keeper he has seven test hundreds like he, after gilly i guess he has the most number of test hundreds and andy clark i guess he might not declare the same number of hundreds he averaged 57 as a wicket keeper so seven hundreds hundreds as a wicket keeper three test hundreds as a test opener then the knocks like 40 of 220 40 of 293 of 250 odd balls so To see his range, I guess easily a his red ball career as career should be more celebrated. And because because he was such a good 
white ball cricketer and explosive cricketer that no one talks about how good he was like he averages 15 in test cricket no one talk really talked about it his contemporary zone as i mentioned in my previous podcast that kp amla clark bar they all both want to be seen at the same time they were ahead in their test series for most of the period but he just overtook them all of them and he's the only guy who averages 50 from that batch entire batch of 2003 or 4 guys who debuted in that period so he's definitely a red ball i would choose him as a red ball cricketer sure so dan same question to you and then add another one uh, there's a famous incident when graham smith and mickey arthur challenge him and then he never looked back right he goes and scores at glorious i think what 170 odd so that was a coming of age moment but uh, combine the two questions is he a better red ball player like for prithvi for you as well and then that uh, that uh, coming of age moment a uh, flip a coin for me um i i i don't know i mean he was at his peak he was he was yeah the best red ball players red ball batter south africa's had but he was also the best white ball players ever had i mean I, you saw him um do things in 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 T20 games and 50 over games i mean doesn't he hold the, the fastest 150 and the fastest 100 or at least he did at at one point in 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 ODI cricket um i think he also had the second fastest 50 so i mean to say that you know i i know pretty isn't saying that he that he wasn't up to up to much with the white ball but it's it, it's both and this is why this is why i put him ahead of of the fab 4 because I think he's a better ODI batsman than a better white ball batsman than Smith and Root. Um I think he's a better test batter than than Kohli and 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 Baba. Um I think I think combined he he he's then a therefore a better player. Um yeah, so I, I if if I had to if I had to pick one, I'd say the red ball because I I'm I'm a fan of test cricket and I I you know the opportunity to watch abd videos for longer periods of time sounds like a lot of fun to me rather than confined to a 50 over a 20 over innings um and uh yeah well, sorry what was the what was the second question yeah the moment when he was challenged by graham smith and uh, mickey arthur mm-hmm. that he's not getting the most out of his career and then he never looked back and then goes on to this glorious run in both formats of the game scoring i think maybe even averaging 60 for a period so was it like a documented moment in south african cricket like you know coming of age you know we've heard the stories you know a lot of pe- players in different sports you're not you're not getting it right with the talents you've blessed so what do you recall of that story uh yeah i i do i mean it just kind of felt like uh you know the 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 ine- the inevitable conclusion or or the inevitable uh destination of someone who was clearly supremely gifted um I think it also coincided with him not opening the batting um coming down in, in the middle order really really making that number 4 5 spot his own or 5 really at the time uh, with you know coming after and, and also coming after Amla and Kalas uh really helps um I think a lot of batters if you were batting at number 5 and you came in that position you would feel pretty confident about things um Yeah, it's it's hard it's hard to say. I mean, coming of age, like you say, there's a million coming of age stories in 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 sports. Um it 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 
yeah, I suppose in the truest sense, it, it felt like a coming of age, but it also just felt like the coming of, of the natural order of things. It it, it didn't feel like um, it, it took anyone by surprise. Anyone with eyes could see that this guy was going to make a lot of runs. It was just a question of when he didn't he didn't exactly set the house on fire from the get go. But South African cricket has time for generational talents. I think largely because it took Jacques Cullis so long. You know, Jacques Cullis, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he averaged something like eleven from his first whatever test. You know, first ten tests, or certainly not higher than twenty two in his first ten tests. So. I think because of how long it took Jacques Cullis to hit the ground running or, or, to, or to, you know, he didn't hit the ground running and how long it took for him to get up to speed. I think there is somewhat more patience, at least when South Africa was playing more test cricket than they, are, than they do now. There was more patience for people who were clearly going to click at some stage. Hmm. Uh, okay. I'll, uh, you know, you, you get, keep giving me more ideas. So let me bring Prithvi and we have like a good 20 minutes left. I want to get the maximum out of you both. So Prithvi, uh, Mickey Arthur was part of my question to Dan. Uh, is that a relationship that you have, you know, a lot of memories of when they partner together? Or are there any other relationships with A.B. de Villiers? And of course, in cricketing terms and playing teammates or coaching staff that you want to share uh, your, your recollections of? Yeah. Uh, so I think Mickey Arthur has played an immense role in shaping up his career because and he mentions quite a few times about him in his book. And there's one interesting anecdote I would like to share that Ray Jennings was the coach of Titans in 2004. And I guess New Zealand A or England A, someone would, they had a match against New Zealand A or England A way back in 2004. And this was before his test debut. And he was playing for Titans and Ray Jennings was the coach and he played a last shot and he got out. And after that, Ray Jennings held his collar and he said that you'll never play for a team that, I, that I'll be coaching. I guess he has mentioned this in his book as well. And coming down the years, 2011, the same Ray Jennings was the coach of RCB and he was hell-bent on getting him duties in the team. So this is how we can compare the two year 2004 and 2011 but once upon a time he was so upset with him that he didn't want him in his team and then the AB grew leaps and bounds in 2011 that he wanted it in his team at all costs and coming back to Mickey Arthur yes he has and there are many cricketers like Babar Azam speaks very highly of Mickey Arthur the way he has backed him and doing his thing his thing with the Australian cricket I guess didn't work out very well because of the homework, the controversy, and all those, we, don't, we know how all those things are played in the But apart from that, many cricketers speak very highly of him, the backing they were given. And AB2 mentions about Mickey Arthur very highly in his book. And doing it in 2008 as well, uh, Mickey, uh, it was Regen, uh, no, sorry, uh, who was the left hand spinner? Paul, what I'm forgetting the name. South African spinner, left arm spinner. Paul, Paul Harris. Paul Harris, Paul Harris. Sorry. So Paul Harris, uh, uh, Mickey Arthur, and ABS they were sitting uh, in a hotel the day before and the first match. And Mickey Arthur or Paul Harris, someone said to him that I think you'll get your first 200. And that EB mentioned in his book that he only pumped him up and he got his 
was 200 in that first match so yeah i guess like you are there definitely played a huge role in shaping his career and what was the second question so let me get i said if there are any other and you i think you answered i said if there are any other relationships with avi de villiers that you would like to explore so you mentioned few names so that's good so uh dan uh yeah know, i have few questions sorry. for dan go ahead you you ask yeah go ahead ask dan so yeah hi yeah post the 2018 and the retirements then and uh, uh, a fact diplessly was asked in, in the press conference when he mentioned how avi wanted to He literally threw AB under the bus in that post-match press conference. So I wanted to know that: Do you have any idea how the relations between him and Pop worked out after that? I I wouldn't say that he threw AB under the bus. Um, I think I think he he was put in a, in an impossible. I I mean, blame is a is a harsh word. You know, we look at the state of the world. Cricket really is trivial by comparison. But um, I. If anyone is to blame, I think it is Abi de Villiers. I think I think he needs. I think he should shoulder the responsibility of his uh, touring and throwing with the Proteas. Faftu um, Bussi was put in put in an impossible position where he basically had to make a choice between team cohesion or a superstar talent who also happened to be. Uh, a long term friend i think by that stage their relationship had deteriorated um by by all accounts you know i've i've spoken to faf a few times um i i've uh, i ha- so i've kind of only got one side of the story i don't think that the world cup debacle and it was a debacle was the reason for them losing touch or or, or you know growing a- apart but i think it certainly you know hastened that i think they're on good good terms without being best mates now um but again that that's purely speculation you know i'm i'm not in their inner circles so um anything that i say is 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 purely from an outsider look, looking in um it, it's it's a shame it's a shame that it happened uh, look i'm not saying south africa would have won the 2019 world cup had de villiers played but what a difference he would have made you know the reason why south africa didn't do well was because they just couldn't get enough runs on the board they they couldn't match the firepower of australia's top order of england's entire batting lineup and you know the um the, the consistency of new zealand who who were the three standout teams you know not not to mention india as well um i think south africa would have had a decent shot of making the semi finals at least if uh if Abi de Villiers was there and then who knows knockout cricket is is can play strange things although obviously it doesn't work often in South Africa's favor but that that was that was a terrible tournament for for the South Africans they were they just looked like a team that were unhappy they 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 just didn't look like a, like a team that that really wanted to be there and had any answers and a large part of that unease and ennui was a result of of a bit of videos kicking up a stink on the eve of the tournaments and and on the eve of the selection. So yeah, it's 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 a shame one and and it, and it did become polarizing. Um but if you're asking me, I I think I think a bit of videos was to blame. Let's see you have one more question. I thought you said a couple of questions. Please go ahead if you have one more. 
yeah, I have one more question uh, uh, to Dan, but just slightly off the topic. Uh, I wanted to know about the racist allegations on him. Like, how did it affect him? And is there any out of truth in the What are the, how is this image in cricketing circles or in South Africa regarding those racist allegations? It, that's a great, it's a great question. And, and I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. Um, I, I probably should have much sooner than this. Um, it, it, okay. On his, on his reputation, his legacy, I think it has certainly uh, upset a lot of fans. And I think there are a lot of, sorry, I think there are a lot of uh, quote unquote, non-white um, South African cricket fans that, that feel let down by, by De Villiers and, 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 and the allegations. I don't, you know, it's not for me to say whether or not someone was being racist. That That is for the person who, who feels like they have had racism or racist, racist comments directed at them. Um, what I will tentatively tr- say, uh, and I'll try not to get myself in trouble, is that I don't think that a bit of it is, is consciously racist. And, and I, wh- what I mean is I don't think he walks through the streets and sees a black person and like, crosses the streets or, or, or sees a black person as inferior or, or unintelligent or not worthy of their place in society. You know, I, I know that obviously South Africa ha- is still struggling with the wreckage that was apartheid and, and, and the crimes against humanity that were perpetuated during that racist regime. But, and, and there are many white South Africans who still very much hold those racist views. I, I don't for one second think that a bit of it is, is one of them. Um, but unconscious racism is uh, is something that affects all of us, not just in South Africa. It affects all all white people. Um, you know, colonial histories, great legacy is is the psychological hangovers that that endure and, and the generational trauma that 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 is continue that that continues to be felt across all races. So maybe. In a, in a dressing room, Abe de Villiers was, was flippant with something that he said, um, just naturally coalesced around white teammates. And, and as, as a leader and, and a captain at some stage, he was probably asked, you know, there, there was probably more was expected of him, more, you know, more conscious, a, a high degree of consciousness was expected of him. You know, Faf Duplessis, you know, a, a quote unquote, and I hate the word, but I think you know what I mean when I, when I say woke. You know, a woke cricket captain, a guy who's who understands his his social responsibility as a South African cricket captain, Fafdu Pasi, that is, he said in a press conference that he doesn't see color uh, when referencing the reason why Temba Bavuma wasn't getting picked as the only black batter in the side. And a lot of people pointed out, well, mate, that is that is problematic if you don't see color. You need to see color. It is important in South Africa that you are very conscious of color and subject position and Fuff to his credit held his hand up and said I got it wrong. So I I don't think I don't think that A B was ever consciously racist, but who knows what happened in the dressing room and, and if someone felt like he um was slighted by A B de Villiers, that, that is that is not for me to say. Um so I, I hope I didn't dodge the question and I and I answered it in, in some capacity. Yeah, I think that was a brilliant question. And thanks, Prithvi, for elevating uh, the questions here. Uh, this should have been my job, but kudos to you. You came prepared. You 
had great answers with detail, and you also asked the right question. Anyways, a few minutes left. So, Dan, I'm going to go back to you. For me, it's simple in sports. Like uh, my my view viewpoint in cricket, especially, is legacy also leaves an impression of the generation that you've left behind. Like Gavaskar inspired Tendulkar, Tendulkar inspired a lot of Indian batters. You know, Kohli is one of them, and the next generation, Rohit Sharma, and I'm sure Kohli and Rohit Sharma are leaving the same impression on the generation that's coming up or actually is playing in IPL and some of those young guys. So using that benchmark, of course, a lot of things go in. Indian cricket infrastructure is so rich, so they'll always be someone in the making. It's just the next superstar they idolize. So what is A.B. De Villiers' legacy there? South African cricket is going through some tough times, but how has he transcended the sport? Again, it's not totally on him, I get it. You know, sport has to be financially rewarding. The system has to be in place to produce world-class cricketers. But uh, when you see global superstars, even, you know, like Kohli or Federer or LeBron, how has A.B. de Villiers left an impression on the next generation of batters in South Africa? Ah, I mean, everyone wants to be, you know, um, you know the fact that, that, that Brevis is called Baby A.B. Uh, kind of, shows you everything you need to know you know any any time a, a South African batter gets down on one knee and and fetches a ball from outside of stump and and deposits us over over the square leg boundary he'll be likened to Abe de Villiers anytime someone uh goes on on, on the you know plays a, a a reverse paddle or or a leg cut or, or flourishes up and over the covers you know we're not we're not our, our mind doesn't go to Herschel Gibbs or or Daryl Cullinan Avery a- de Villiers is the standard bearer of what of what constitutes a a swashbuckling middle order protea. Um, his his success and and his and his genius is sorely missed now because the the uh, the the next on the next cab on the rack is is, uh, is Aiden Markram and he blows hot and cold. Um, but he's very much modelled himself on Avery de Villiers now. Uh, looking to and his white ball game has come on immeasurably. Um, I think I'd love to see Abe de Villiers coaching. I think his, um, you know, his his knowledge and, and and his methods. You know, he he sort of revolutionized the box method where he he would train without moving moving his feet and and just to kind of get it the right weight transfer and 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 learning how to wait for the ball. Um, that that was that is still used today in in the Proteas camp. So no, his his legacy secured, and and anyone who saw him play will be talking about him forever. You you, you spoke about the greats of their sports. I have a two year old son. Um, if hopefully my son become it grows up to be a fan of cricket, I will tell him about the time I saw Abi de Villiers um, bat because that was a, a privilege to to see someone l- so good at his craft and. And, and and it's 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 easy to be flippant, but he was so good at what he did. He was just so good. Um, so I think his legacy is is absolutely secure. And the racism and the captaincy and the and the flip flopping that you know that that only colours it. You know Shane Warne was was a flawed character. Vera Coley's a flawed character. Um, MS Dhoni's got his flaws. The, the you know um, Michael Jordan said that Republicans buy sneakers too, and that. And that means that some Americans don't don't look on him favorably. There, there's no such thing as a as a perfect human being, and I think people understand that. But what will remain are are the stats that 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 Pritvi brought up, and 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 the memories that that he gave us. And thankfully, he played in an age where 
we can watch enough of his clips on YouTube. So I think in 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 fifty years time, if anyone wants to go and see just how good this guy was, they'll be able to, and 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 that that'll you know like, all good for him. That, that what he did for cricket in the country and around the world is is remarkable. Yes, this kind of a. Became, it kind of became a final statement for this podcast. So, Prithvi, I'll give you a couple of minutes to lay your final thoughts. Floor is yours. It's not a question. Anything about Devilia's legacy or any memory that you haven't spoken about that you would like to summarize your last response here? Yeah, I just wanted. There's a last wish among every Indian fan. Like, I just wished he had continued for a couple of years more, or till that 2019 World Cup, because that could have been a perfect. Uh, Level, not like South Africa would have won that World Cup, but 2019 was the perfect stage to hand over the baton to the next generation, and then he could have uh, played all around the world. But his abrupt retirement in 2018 left a few black talking points, and that is the only black mark I see in his career. But we have to respect everyone's uh, individual opinion. Like we don't know what's his current transpired and how the whole thing was handled and his relationship with the board as well. So we'll give him that benefit of doubt. But at the end of the day, from a fan's point of view, from a spectator's point of view, and from a, a cricket fan's point of view, that uh, the world needed to witness the bit of this magic for the next another two or three years at least. Like, like his. I'm a huge fan of numbers, but He's beyond numbers. There's no doubt about it. But it would have been good to see him get to that 10k mark in tests and ODIs. That would have left a different legacy altogether because he has nothing to show in his trophy cabinet. Uh, as far as white ball career is concerned, there are only two trophies with the Titans he has won. There's absolutely nothing to show. So I would, on an individual front, I would have wanted him to get to that 10k mark in the ODIs and in this as well. And it was just about one year. If he had played one more summer, he would have got there. He was just 1,200 runs short in test cricket and just 400 runs short in ODI cricket. It was just uh, about one season staying. But as I said earlier, it's, we have to respect one's individual decision. And But that the whole different legacy would have been completely different. Like the only cricketer with 10k runs in both formats and 50 average in both formats. That would have sounded something very different when it comes. He still has the speech, he still has the numbers, but I would say a little uh, his career was it will remain unfulfilled. Like 20 he still has 20,000 runs in international cricket, but but the sample style is a little since as we see in Hindi, right? Yajil Mange more. Yeah. So at 25k runs, I'm being greedy here as a fan, but a 25k run mark in international cricket would have just, it would have ended all the debates, in my opinion. There are still room left for the debate because of a small sample size, because we didn't get to that elusive 10k mark. But that would have ended every debate, in my opinion. That's all I wanted to say. No, I think that's a perfect way to end this. And you both covered a lot of ground. And Prithvi, you, what you said twice in this podcast, I think the answer, what you're looking for as a fan is there. He's someone who's beyond numbers. And I'm sure fans view players with a different lens, but later on, they're also aware. So he was definitely not someone who's chasing the numbers, right? So I also like the way the great Don Bradman's career ended, you know, at 99. That's, 
you know, that's some, some, sometimes it's okay to be a bit imperfect. And a lot of people say there's no imperfection there. So my point is, I'm, I'm a glass empty kind of a guy. If somebody leaves something that say, oh, what could have been, I think that kind of keeps the conversation alive. But I, I also see your point that if he had, because you're a huge fan and I admire De Villiers, but, you know, I was not a big fan. I was more of a neutral. I was all in, in awe of his talent, but I see your sentiment that it could have ended some fan debates had he played, you know, a season. And maybe, who knows, had he played 2019 World Cup, he could have got, gotten 400 runs in the league because that World Cup was huge. Every team had, what, eight or nine matches. So he could have, at least in the ODI, he could have crossed that mark. And Dan, you took some really good questions from both me and Prithvi, and you kind of uh, gave fitting responses. And like I said at the beginning, this is not an easy podcast to do when you're talking about someone current because he's so fresh in our memories. And there's so much YouTube and archive data that a knowledgeable Devilius fan can come knocking our door. Guys, you didn't miss this or you cover, you didn't cover this. But I think you both kind of you know, hit it out of the park. I think what I was looking for, because I'm a very mediocre uh, fan, which uh, doesn't have much knowledge. So I think you definitely elevated my experience and People like me who will be tuning in would probably love this podcast and diehards like Prithvi who will tune in probably will feel, you know, vindicated because, you know, there was something, you know, there for everyone. But uh, yeah, once again, thank you both. We planned this for more than four or five months, different time zone, different country, different work schedules. Dan, we don't want to be you to be late. Go pick Dan Jr. and, you know, have a good time with your son. Have a, have a good night. And Prithvi, uh, India, it's already night. So yeah, uh, enjoy your day tomorrow. I'll push this podcast in maybe in a day or so and help me promote this on Twitter. Thank you again for doing this. Thank you. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Pakit. It was a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, like, likewise. Thank, thanks both.